The scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading of His Word. You know, generally speaking, there are two types of information. You have true information and you have false information. True information is that which accurately corresponds with reality. Whereas false information is information that does not correspond with reality. So, for example, I have brought a little balloon for you to look at. Okay? So look at this balloon, for example. Now, when I first looked at this balloon, I believed that this balloon was purple. Why are you laughing? <laughs> anyway, uh, so when, when, you, when you look at this balloon, what color do you believe it is? Okay, well, so you say. Your eyes tell you this balloon is blue, whereas my eyes tell me this balloon it's purple. So how are we going to figure out which color the balloon really is? Who's telling the truth? Are you telling the truth? Or am I telling the truth? What's accurate? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'm going to make a confession, an honest confession. Um, I've recognized over time that I have trouble with colors. And discerning which color is which. Started at a young age. I think it was maybe kindergarten. When I brought a, uh, a coloring sheet home. And I had colored the sky purple. Superman's cape brown. And they knew something wasn't right. Right? Unless you were sniffing some glue or something. I don't know. In class. Something wasn't going on right. Anyway. And so I've, I've realized just from my own experience. That I have a hard time discerning between certain colors. Blue and purple are two of them that I have a hard time telling you which one's which. Uh, red and brown, green and orange, pink and gray. And you're all thinking, if you don't have this trouble, you're thinking, how in the world can you not know the difference? But that's just the way my eyes function. So your eyes look at this and you say it's blue. My eyes look at it and I think, oh, it could be purple or it could be blue. But I'm not real sure which one it is. So how do we figure out what's true? How do I figure out what color this balloon actually is? Well, what I would have to do, because I'm colorblind, is I would have to talk to someone who can see color the way it actually is. 
recognizing that my eyes can't really take it all in. I can't see everything the way it actually is. And so I have to ask you all, so I would say, how many of you all, raise your hand, think this balloon is purple? How many of you think it's blue? I probably would guess it's blue then. (laughs) I would say, okay, if everybody in here thinks it's blue and I'm the only one that thinks it's purple, odds are it's blue because I know that my eyes... Just They don't take in color the same way that your eyes take in color. So, how do I determine what's true, what's false? I need to ask someone that has, they have eyes to see the way things really are. Um, Now, distinguishing between what is true and false is something that I don't just do with balloon color. But it's something actually we all do. Constantly, every day, we're trying to figure out what is true, what is false, whether it's the color of a balloon or even who God is. Uh, What is God like? What is God doing? Is there a God? Can I know God? And so whether it's something as simple as what color is this balloon to something more significant as to who God is, we're always trying to discern what is true, what is false. And so now I'm very aware that the implications of balloon color is not at the same level as the implications of who God is. Okay, I'm aware of that. But I do see some similarities as to how we approach truth. Especially for those of you who may have someone in your family that's colorblind like I am. Because both pursuits of truth require us to depend on the eyewitness accounts of others. So if I want to find out the truth about a color, I need someone to help reveal that to me and and tell me that. I need to to receive that information in order to figure out if it's true or not, to help me discover what is true. Same thing with God. If we're going to figure out who God is, what He's like, what He's doing, we need to depend on God to reveal that to us as well. And this is what God has actually done through the scripture. So those of us who are Christians believe that God has revealed himself, made himself known through the Bible. Listen to how the writer puts it in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So the writer of Hebrews says, in the past, God spoke through prophets, and now he is speaking through his son, Jesus. Now, the recipients of uh, Peter's letter, 2 Peter, the recipients of this letter, most likely had never seen Jesus, and they had never heard Jesus teach, just like you've never seen Jesus And you have not heard Jesus teach. And so the question is, well, how did these churches in Peter's day know about Jesus and what he taught? And how do we know about Jesus and what Jesus taught? Well, we know because of the letters written by those who were with Jesus. And and, uh, 2 Peter is one of those letters. It's It's a letter written to churches that were hearing two contradictory views 
about Jesus. And so you had Peter and the apostles teaching one thing about Jesus. And then you had these other teachers coming in and they were teaching something contrary to what the apostles were teaching. And so that was the situation in these churches. And the Christians were having a hard time distinguishing what was true, what was false. Is the balloon blue? Is it purple? What's going on? How do I figure out what is true? And then Peter speaks into this dilemma by writing this letter. And he says in verse 16, he says, For we, meaning Peter and the apostles, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he said, you know, when we were telling you about Jesus and what he's, what he's doing, what he did, what he's doing, what he will do, we were not following cleverly devised myths. And so this word myth is used in a handful of places in the New Testament. And it's always used negatively. You know, a myth, the way we understand it, is a fictitious story. So it's not a, it's not a story of actual events. But it maybe, maybe it has a moral lesson or it helps explain the world uh, to us. And the most popular uh, mythical stories are the uh, Greek mythology stories, right? Maybe you've learned some of those in school and you've heard about those. Or maybe you've watched some movies based on those. Uh, but these stories are mythical in that they, they're not real. There are supernatural elements in these stories, but they're meant to convey a, a moral lesson or help explain some unknown area of the world. So even in Peter's day, this idea of a myth was well known. I mean, Peter understood what a myth was, and so he wanted to make sure that those who were reading his letter understood that what he was writing about Jesus was not a myth, but fact. And another reason he stresses this point is that there were some who were saying that some of the things that the apostles taught were mythical. In other words, some of the teachings of Jesus really didn't happen the way they say it happened, or they're not going to happen the way... The apostles say they will happen. And they were saying things like, um, you know, you can't take the apostles' teaching about Jesus so literal. You know, I know they said that Jesus is going to return and he's going to judge the world and he's going to make all things new. Uh, but you don't need to take that so literal. You know, he was, he was just trying to convey the point that, you know, just... You can know God, but God doesn't really care how you live. It doesn't matter you know, what goes on in your life because He's not going to come back and judge. And so they were beginning to believe different things about the second coming of Christ. Uh, and this, this, this was a major problem in the church. Believing bits and pieces of what the apostles taught about Jesus and then kind of discarding what they didn't like. This kind of picking and choosing was very popular in the church then and actually still is, is an issue in the church today, isn't it? I want to just give you another uh, more current example. Uh, it's not from yesterday, but you'll recognize the name. You ever heard of what is often referred to as the Jefferson Bible? Thomas Jefferson. Obviously one of our country's founding fathers. Um, it was said that you know, six years before he died, Thomas Jefferson completed a book he entitled The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. 
The book was completed in 1820. And the way he compiled this book is that he took a Bible and he literally cut out pieces of the Bible, specifically the New Testament. He cut out pieces of the Bible and then pasted it on a new page. So he's kind of gathering up some certain teachings and then presenting it as this book. And Jefferson's uh, condensed composition is especially notable for its exclusion of all miracles by Jesus and most mentions of the supernatural, including sections of the four Gospels that contain the resurrection and most other miracles and passages that portray Jesus as divine. So Jefferson obviously was a very intelligent man, but what he did here was he he took the Bible, specifically the New Testament, and he just took out the parts that he believed that were true, and he he discarded the parts that he thought they just did not correspond with reason. They were not reasonable to him. And so he just kind of separated that out and just kept what he thought was reasonable or what was true in his mind. Now, unfortunately, um, for Jefferson, as he filtered through the Bible and picked what was true and false based on his reason, his sight, he was greatly affected by deism, which is an understanding of the world that says God, even though he initially created the world, he has nothing to do with the world. And so it eliminates the idea of the supernatural where God is actually at work in the world. So the idea that Jesus would do a miracle or that Jesus was God, that he would rise again, that he would be involved in the world in some uh, active way. That was just a foreign concept to the deist. And Jefferson was influenced by the deist and his understanding of reality would not allow him to be open to the possibility of miracles. And the supernatural working of God. And so because of this closed-mindedness, he refused to believe that the balloon may actually be blue. He saw it was purple. It was purple. Because that made sense to him. But he closed his mind off to the possibility that perhaps there's more to this world than you know. And perhaps you should be a little more open to what God can do. And so this disbelief in the supernatural has continued throughout the centuries and is alive and well today. And so many people, for example, they like some of Jesus' teachings, right? You've run into people and you've talked to people. They like some of Jesus' teachings, some of what Jesus said. However, when it comes to his miracles, this idea that he's God in the flesh, that he died for our sins and he rose again, and that he's coming back to judge the world, they put those ideas in a category of, cleverly devised myths and just kind of cut them out of their belief system. So you have the same kind of picking and choosing that was happening even in the first century and even obviously in Jefferson's day, in our day as well. So the question for us is how do we read the Bible? I mean, do we come to the Bible like I come to color and say, you know what? I think it's this color. I don't care what everybody else says or anybody else says it's this color because I just think it is. Or are we open to the fact that, you know what? God may want to teach me something that I just don't know. And I would never arrive at this truth on my own. And I should be open to what He wants me to to learn about Him. How do we come to our Bible? What would our Bible look like? I mean, are there bits and pieces of your Bible that you say, you know what? I'm just going to ignore that part. 
because it doesn't fit with my lifestyle? Or are we willing to come to God's Word and say, you know what? Uh, I may be seeing this wrong. And I need you to speak into my life and tell me who you are, what you've done, what you are doing, what you will do, what you want me to do. You know, are we in that position of uh, humility, teachability? You know, like I have to be with color. I have to realize, you know what? And many of you heard me say this before. You may say, hey, Ron, I like that tie. And you know what I tell you? Well, you have to thank Celia because I didn't pick it out because I'm not about to try to match anything, you know? So I have to go to her because she's got better eyes and she sees things the way they are better than I do. And all the husbands said, amen. You know, I know that even if I'm not colorblind. But, you know, she helps me and I I go to her and I I yield to that. I say, okay, I know you see this better than me. Give me some input. And in a greater way, in a more significant way, we should be that way with God. We should humble ourselves, realize that you don't know it all. I don't know it all. So we should be open to what God wants to teach us and how he's revealed himself in his word. Look with me again at verses 16 and 17. Peter continues and he says, for we, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when, we received, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Jesus, I mean, Paul, Peter's telling the churches, these Christians, we're not making this up. I was with Jesus, he says. And Peter, when he says that we were with him on the holy mountain, he's referring to the event that we call the transfiguration, which is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke. I want to read to you uh, Mark's account in, in Mark 9, 2 through 8. This is what Peter's referring to. It says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, It is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. So in this account, on the mountain that day, Peter caught a glimpse of the glory of Christ. The glory that Christ would experience after His death, His resurrection, and His return. And so when Peter heard that the churches that he was overseeing were being infiltrated by teachers who were saying that Jesus would not return, he put pen to paper and he made sure that they understood that he was there. He was with Jesus. He he saw Jesus. He heard the voice. He was there. He witnessed the glory of Christ. And so he says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were 
eyewitnesses of his majesty. So, you know, who would you trust? Would you trust this group of teachers that were telling you about Jesus that never saw Jesus, never heard him teach? Or would you trust Peter and the apostles, those who had been with Jesus? They saw Jesus. They heard the voice, the very voice of God affirming the sonship of Jesus. I mean, this is this is Peter's point. He's telling the churches, think about who you're listening to. Listen to those who have seen it, who have heard it, who are with Jesus. This is Peter's point. And so if you want to know the truth about Jesus, then what you need to do is you need to read the writings of those who were with Jesus. In other words, you need to read your Bible. That's how you know who Christ is. Read the Bible. And now, let me say this. I I know it can be hard... For some of us to receive information from someone that lived so long ago. You think of Peter. You know, we can't talk to Peter like Peter was talking to those early churches. So it can be hard, perhaps, for some of you to say, you know, I have a hard time receiving information from someone that lived so long ago. Especially as it relates to something that hasn't happened yet. The second coming of Jesus. And I know many would love to have more information and more evidence than perhaps what is available. But what I want to encourage you to do is to take what you do have. Take what you do have and see how it corresponds with reality. And I believe that as you read the Bible, as you look at the world, as you understand yourself, that you will see that the Bible is in fact true about what is and therefore can be trusted about what will be. And so Peter was encouraging these churches to hold fast to the truth of the gospel. That's what we saw last week at the beginning of this chapter. And hold fast to the truth about the second coming of Jesus. And he was exhorting them to remain faithful to Christ. To live for Christ in between the first coming and the second coming where we find ourselves even today. He was encouraging them to remain faithful. But in addition to just reminding them and showing them the authenticity of his own message... He bolsters his argument even further in verses 19 19 through 21. He writes, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So to put simply, Peter's saying that the message of the Old Testament corresponds perfectly with the message of the New Testament. Okay, this is is one book, one story. And he's saying the message of the prophets of the Old have been fulfilled in the message of the New. The message about the life, the death, the resurrection and reign of Christ. That is the fulfillment of the message of the Old. And this fulfillment is progressive. It was progressive in the Old Testament. As you read it, it's progressive. It's progressing. It's fulfilled in Christ. And even now, it's continually progressing. And its culmination will be the second coming of Christ, where the Bible says He will judge the world and He will make all things new. So Revelation is is progressing. 
And the truth of Christ, he says, is a lamp shining in a dark place. He's talking about the world. You know, the world is the dark place. The truth of Christ is the lamp until the day dawns, until Christ returns. This morning star, I believe he's referring to Jesus there. This morning star rising. And then Peter helps them understand just the nature of the inspiration. Okay, how do we know this is from God? How does God communicate through people? What we would call uh, the inspiration of Scripture. Maybe you've heard that term before. The inspiration of Scripture. That the Bible is God's Word. We say, well, well, Ron, if it's God's Word, then why did men write it? And this is what Peter's helping us understand even in this passage. First, he tells us that God's message to mankind comes through people, but it doesn't originate in people. He says in verse 20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So yes, it comes through people, but it doesn't originate with people. Then Peter uses an interesting boating metaphor. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a big boating person. I don't know. I've never really... I actually have never ridden a sailboat. And I'm okay with that. You know, I'm all right. But uh, this is a boating metaphor. It's specifically with boats that have sails. He says in verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that phrase, carried along, is a boating phrase and is used of a ship being carried along by the wind. And so you kind of picture a, like a pirate ship or some big sailboat with a big sail and the wind carrying the boat along to its destination. So someone described it this way. You know, the prophets... You know, they were the the vessel, right? They were obedient and receptive. And the Holy Spirit filled them and carried their craft along in the direction God wished. And so man is the vessel. The Spirit of God is the one who empowers. And the message is God's message. And this is what sets the Bible apart from other books. The Bible is God's revelation of Himself and of His work. So the Bible tells us, who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. And so without God's Word, here's the reality of the situation that we all face. Without God's Word, we are blinded to the true color of the world. It's not that you don't see the world at all. But without God's Word, we are blinded to the true color of the world. The true color of ourselves. We're blinded to the true color of the greatness of Christ. We're blinded to the beauty of the gospel. We're blinded to the vibrancy of God's mission and what He's doing. And so we need God's Word to show us what is true about God. What is true about His Son, ourselves, our world, and our future. And so the question for us this morning is, will you allow, will you allow God's Word to be a lamp unto your feet? And a light Until your path, until the morning star rises and the day has dawned. Let's pray. Father, we come to you realizing that we don't always see things clearly. And we don't have it all figured out. And we are so thankful that you have made yourself known in your word. Lord, help us to be teachable. Help us to be receptive. Help us to be open to be changed by your truth. 
And Lord, I pray if there's anyone that is struggling with who you are and what is true of you and what you're doing, God, would you um, just give them what they need to move forward with you? And for those of you who know, know you, Lord, would you uh, just give us more of a hunger to know you better through your word? And Lord, help us to yield ourselves to your truth and not cut and paste what we like and discard what we don't like, but be open to who you are and to what you want to teach us, to how you want us to move forward with you even today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.